What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, airlines are fastening their seatbelts for a choppy ride back from their pandemic lows. Delta CEO Ed Bastian. We are preparing to be a smaller airline over the course of the next couple of years. What flying Delta looks like, at least until September 30th. You cannot board an airplane on Delta unless you have a mask on. If you insist upon not wearing the mask, we're going to insist on you not traveling on Delta in the future. And if you fly, where are you going? Some families are betting on Disney World. New York Times reporter Brooks Barnes checked the hype and the safety for himself. Would you feel comfortable sending your family? I would. I wouldn't have said that before I went. Those stories plus reopening and reclosing plans and Elon Musk's newest reason to smile because he didn't already have enough to celebrate. It's Tuesday, July 14th, 2020. Squawk Pod begins right now. Good morning and welcome to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin along with Joe Kernan. Melissa Lee is hanging out once again with us. Becky's off today for some well-deserved vacation. We'll see her later this week. Right, California, this, uh, this really sort of knocked, well, it, it was just bad news in general, but the market certainly paid attention yesterday, imposing a sweeping rollback of the state's reopening amid a rise uh, in new cases and hospitalizations. Uh, Governor Newsom is closing indoor dining bars, movie theaters, and museums. And uh, citing those rising COVID numbers, the Los Angeles and San Diego school districts say that they will begin, begin the fall school year entirely online. It's about 800,000. Uh, I thought it'd be a lot more than, than that. So it's basically just Los Angeles and, and San Diego. So if it was all California schools, obviously it'd be an even bigger number, but certainly a setback. And, and you know, in my house and elsewhere, it's like, oh, if they're doing, once it starts... You, you wonder whether it's just going to be tough for school. I mean, not maybe in Wyoming, but, but it's going to be in, in very populated areas. It may be tough to get, uh, uh, to get into right. the schools. So anyway, meantime, uh, Cuomo, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo, releasing th- uh, this state's plan to allow some schools to reopen this fall. He said schools that maintain daily infection rates below 5% are eligible to hold in-person classes. But he warned... If the regional infection rate rises above 9% after the first week of August, schools will not be allowed to reopen. So more uncertainty uh, as to how things actually go. Andrew. Meantime, uh, in Houston, Texas, uh, yesterday, Harris County officials activating there an emergency broadcast system. This sending a message urging people to stay at home. It said the virus was spreading rapidly and local hospitals were reaching capacity. It advised people to stay home except for essential activities wear the required face coverings, and cancel any gatherings. Meantime, state officials say Texas saw its first decline in daily hospitalizations in 15 days. They say the pace of growth in hospitalizations had been slowing for several days. So some good news, bad news there. It'll be very interesting to see whether places like Texas, Arizona, and Florida reopen their schools, um, given the, uh, the spread, but also some of the politics. Meantime, U.S. health officials and drug makers say they expect to start producing potential coronavirus vaccine doses by the end of the summer and deliver 300 million doses 
for the virus by early next year. This according to one White House official. The manufacturing process already underway, even though they aren't sure, of course, which vaccine, if any, is going to work. But uh, this is all part of the strategy, which is just make lots of this stuff because um, it's a bet that one of them will, and, and then we can get it into people's hands hopefully faster. Melissa? Uh, maybe some of the reagents are similar, some of the, the materials similar, depending on, on which you're going to use. And, and I guess you can start putting some of the stuff together it, on the prospect of two or three candidates that, that work in similar ways. But it was a weird story. It's like, well, which one? But, um, right. Yep. Fauci is giving an update on the coronavirus. He gave it yesterday during a virtual meeting with Stanford Medicine. He said the U.S. is experiencing a surge in cases because it never shut down completely. But he said it's not too late to turn things around. We can get a handle on that. I am really confident we can. If we step back, you don't necessarily need to shut down again. But pull back a bit and then proceed in a very prudent way of observing the guidelines of going from step to step. All you needed to do was look at the films on TV of people in some states who went from shutdown to complete throwing caution to the wind. Bars that were crowded, people without masks. There are things you can do now, physical distance, wearing a mask, avoiding crowds, washing hands, those things as simple as they are can turn it around. Dr. Fauci also spoke about vaccines, saying a panel of experts would be needed to decide how to distribute them in an ethical way. The company that we talk about every day, Tesla. Let's talk about some Tesla shares. The stock rising as much as 16% during yesterday's session, hitting a market cap of $321 billion. This before reversing sharply around midday. The sell-off accelerated at about 2 p.m. when news of California's reimposed restrictions hit the wires. Tesla closed down 3%, but it wasn't the only reversal. Some other tech leaders also uh, made their uh, made a little bit of a round trip. But their Amazon, Adobe, uh, NVIDIA, and Facebook all hitting new highs before reversing sharply. So uh, we're going to keep our eyes on all of them. But uh, Tesla has been on you know, quite a, a wild Andrew, ride. One of my pet peeves yesterday, uh, website blaring that Tesla stock is now higher than Google's. And it's like... I saw it on the Drudge Report. And I got to tell you, you know, I actually like Drudge. And, it, and he never does... He doesn't get things that wrong. I thought that was surprising. Uh, I, I went to go look at the market cap of Google because no, no, I thought no, Alphabet... No, it I was thought, ne- the market cap is was... Is there something ne- going on that here? That was never in question. But just to say that... It, but but uh, Drudge... Drudge has gotten so... Uh, just, I mean, hyper... Just ventilate, just constantly. I look at it every day and I get depressed. It's like I'm feeling okay. And I look at drugs and it's like, oh, my God, I'm going to go, you know. But we once had someone, honest to God, this person has a big job now, uh, but said that Green Mountain Coffee is now worth more than Starbucks. I remember. The yep. stock price splits. It, wow. This price means, not, it, you know, as Bert, well, Berkshire Hathaway is very uh, worth a lot. But the price of the stock price is meaningless. It's... You know, depending yep. on how many shares are outstanding. But that was the lead story on Drudge. It's like, get a clue. I saw you? the headline. And I, I literally went to do the market caps because I thought, did something no. crazy happen today? Not even close. That well, would be something. Well, if Drudge is sensationalizing that, imagine what else they do with other it, news. Right. That's, that's what I, I mean. But it won't be till yep. next yeah. week that yeah. Tesla actually passes the market cap. I don't right. think for Google when it's at right. like $6 trillion for, by It next, might. By next and week. they're going to keep using that shot. 
You keep seeing that shot of Elon just very, um, <laughs> right. you know, very happy. He's just looking up. Right. You know, okay. uh, we anyway. have uh, we switched. Play- I'm a I'm I am the fanboy from uh, I, I, I think he's the coolest. I do. I think he is the coolest. That's the way you used until the flamethrower. You thought the same thing about uh, about Musk. And now I'm not sure where you stand. I still you like I it? have always said this. I've I think if you're betting against Elon, you're betting not against humanity. That. I, I don't just know, Jason Kalkanisib. I just think he's I just I think it's amazing cool. what he's yeah. doing. Not what he's done, but he's just, I mean, he's, he's, he's Edison. He, oh. What did Trump say? And, and he make, he's good at those rockets. Next on Squawk Pod, when will travel get back off the ground? What Delta CEO Ed Bastian is betting on. It's going to be a combination of continuing to build consumer confidence, having a competitive fare out there. And what flying looks like in the meantime. We've made a commitment to our people as well as our customers. We will not board a flight with more than 60 percent. Every middle seat is blocked through September 30. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones, from powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY, a big idea that inspired the world to invest differently and still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Welcome back to Squawk Pod from CNBC. It's safe to say the COVID-19 pandemic effectively grounded the airline industry in 2020. Travel restrictions, social distancing, the general fear factor of the virus have led to hundreds of planes parked on runways and unpaid time off for airline workers. Delta Airlines, the nation's second largest carrier, announced quarterly results today. And the main headlines prove that this crisis is far from over. The company announced a loss of $5.7 billion, more than Wall Street expected. And Delta will be cutting the number of flights added to the August schedule by half, to just over 500 for the month. So demand to fly the friendly skies is low. Hoped for recovery since April's near collapse in domestic flying has stalled as the coronavirus has spread further across the country. U.S. airlines are forecast by analysts to lose more than $23 billion this year. Delta CEO Ed Bastian joins the team on Squawk Box today. Joe Kernan, Andrew Ross Sorkin, Melissa Lee, and our airline correspondent Phil LeBeau. They discussed the financial losses, early retirement for some Delta employees, and keeping that middle seat empty. Here's Phil. Give us a state of the business right now. Well, Phil, as you were mentioning earlier today, this is all about cash. It's about protecting the balance sheet, uh, raising as much cash as we can, knowing that it's going to be a difficult winter. And certainly the next 12 to 18 months is going to be important to have a cash reserve. And then for Delta and all the airlines, reducing the cash burn. And while it was a very difficult quarter for us, the worst quarter, candidly, in this company's history, proud of what the team did. We took the cash burn levels, which was started at the beginning of the quarter, was close to $100 million a day, down to $27 million a day for the month of June. And that provides us a a pretty good baseline as we're going into the summer. Ed, you've got $15.7 billion in liquidity at the end of the quarter. Uh, at least 19 months worth of cash on hand. That's if you don't raise any more capital. What's your expectation in terms of how much more you will have to raise, whether it's this quarter or in the fourth quarter? 
Well, we're certainly going to be looking at that over the next few months, and I anticipate we will raise some additional funds. Uh, as you mentioned, 19 months buys us time. Assuming no progress from this point, uh, we will certainly be looking to reduce that cash burn level, $27 million a day in June. We expect July will probably be about the same level as it was in June. But certainly as we get towards the end of the year, our goal is to get our cash burn down to zero, and we can start raising cash to pay that debt down. Ed, your August schedule. Now, you were supposed to add 1,000 flights. You're adding 1,000 in July, and you were supposed to add another 1,000 a day in, in the month of August. Now you're trimming that back. You're just adding another 500, cutting that in half. Is that a reflection of the fact that we're starting to see demand slow down again and that you're not seeing as many people fly this summer as you previously expected? Well, at the start of the pandemic, we said that uh, this recovery was going to be choppy, and indeed, it's, it's been choppy. Uh, in June, we saw some nice momentum build as we went through the course of the month. Numbers were still low relative to any historical scale, but we saw some, uh, some nice build. Uh, then we get towards the end of June, early July. Uh, demand has stalled as the virus has grown, particularly down here in the south uh, across the Sun Belt, coupled with the quarantine measures that are going in place in many of the northern states. So so those two factors are causing consumers to pause. Uh, we're not going backwards. Uh, as I said, our cash burn in July is looking to be about the same level it was in June. But in terms of taking the next reduction of that cash burn uh, down, we're going to need to see renewed consumer confidence and some additional travel going forward into the uh, back end of the summer. How much corporate business are you seeing right now? It's very slow. Uh, you know, it's, it's less than 5%. And uh, we're not anticipating through the summer seeing any of it. You know, summer uh, typically is a relatively slow travel season for our corporate travelers. Come Labor Day will be another good checkpoint for us as we start to see uh, how the fall looks for their schedules, what level of businesses are actually opened. Uh, conventions are not going to be starting up necessarily in the fall and, and sales activities and resorts. Though, you know, interesting, Phil, one of the things that we are monitoring is while corporations may not be traveling, their individuals are traveling for leisure and for personal. We monitor the Sky Miles activity of some of our, our highly active members, and we see they are traveling. So people are starting to get out into the environment, but it's still relatively low numbers. Ed, you're almost hitting the point where you've got to make some tough decisions in terms of how much of the staff will have to be eliminated. Either they take a buyout, they take a voluntary leave of absence. What's your sense right now in terms of how many people may be furloughed versus how many may take an early buyout versus a, an unpaid leave of absence? Well, we've said throughout the last couple of months, our goal, if we can, it's an ambitious goal and an audacious goal, is not to have any furloughs in the company. And I think we have a shot at that, uh, remarkably enough, given how low our revenues are. Uh, we're closing this month an early retirement offer for our people across the entire company. And at this point, we have over 17,000 people have voluntarily agreed to take early retirement. That's about 20 percent of our entire company will be uh, leaving the company starting August 1. Uh, in addition to that, we've had really good subscription to voluntary leaves of absence, uh, unpaid leaves of absence. Our people are just amazing what they've done for the company. Uh, month of July, we have 35,000 people out uh, without pay voluntarily, and we see thousands more continuing into the fall, even on top of those that are going to be retiring. And the other third thing of that is we've got a lot of flexibility in our work schedule. So the extent we have so certain parts of the business where we are uh, oversubscribed 
described, we have too much headcount, and others we may not, not have enough. We can move our staffing levels around across the company. So a lot of good work and a lot of creative thinking going on, but we won't know for sure until we get closer to that October one day. But um, I'm optimistic if we do have a furlough, it's going to be relatively minimal numbers. Ed, it's Melissa Lee. Um, I'm, it's, things sound pretty dire out there, and things are still very uncertain given all the spikes around the country that we are seeing. <clears throat> Excuse me. What can you tell investors about how deep these cuts are um, and how drastic the measures are that you've taken to date and whether or not the worst is behind you in terms of how, how deep and how drastic those measures are? I'm just trying to figure out if, if the road ahead is going to be easier for Delta than what you've gone through so far. Well, we certainly hope so. When we got through April, we were down to only about 5% of our normal volume. And this summer, we're anticipating our volumes being somewhere between 20 and 25% of a normal summer activity. So in, in a space of a few months, a relatively significant increase, again, off of a low base uh, as we're heading into the fall. Uh, the size of the airline, I think, is still still a question mark. I think you know, we won't know that for another couple of years. I do think there will be some behavioral changes uh, to travel schedules, particularly business travel, as we go forward, and we'll need to understand that. We are preparing to be a smaller airline over the course of the next couple of years, and that's why uh, we've already had 20 percent of our people voluntarily retire uh, from the business. It's going to help us deal with a lot of the, the cost reductions in a voluntary manner. For the, uh, the current quarter that we're in, uh, the June quarter, we were able to eliminate over 50% of our total operating costs in the company. So I think we're doing a really good job of managing uh, costs. We are the most disciplined of any of the carriers in terms of the seats we're putting out to market. We're only putting out about 25% of our available capacity for sale uh, this summer. And we're going to manage this thing forward as consumer confidence starts to return. Uh, we'll be ready to serve them. Hey, Ed, uh, Andrew Ross Sorkin here. It's nice to see you. Uh, you know, hey, Andrew. I think one of the last times we spoke was, was uh, right before this pandemic began, uh, began. And I remember giving you lots of kudos because you had come on our air and, uh, and announced a plan around ESG and the environment uh, and buying these carbon offsets over a 10 year period. Starting March 1st, Delta Airlines will become the first airline to go fully carbon neutral on a global basis. Carbon offsets are not the solution. Uh, there are not enough to go around. Uh, we need to be investing in projects that make a difference. A billion dollars over a decade is a big number. But for us, just think about this. This is the equivalent of about $1 per barrel oil in terms of price impact on Delta. I got a lot of people emailing in what happens to that? What happens to ESG in a world where businesses are, are meaningfully challenged and, and maybe can't pursue some of these things? Well, we're in it for the long game, Andrew. You know, right now, obviously, our focus is stabilizing the company and getting our, our business back and uh, profit sharing, which was one of the big uh, uh, shining lights at Delta over the last decade isn't going to pay because we're not profitable. But when we do return profits again, our people will continue to get their 15% profit at that point. Uh, the environmental conditions, the offsets that we talked about are still important to us. But at the present time, we need to sustain, uh, have a sustainable business model before we can start to uh, focus on the sustainability of our environment. And Ed, just a, a totally separate question, maybe random. I don't know if you saw the news yesterday uh, about uh, Ted Cruz uh, on an American Airlines plane uh, without a mask. And uh, lots of questions. I know, I know a lot of the airlines have very strict rules and say we're never going to allow people to be on the plane again if, if, if they break the rules. 
And then you get into a situation where you have a sitting senator uh, maybe flouting the rules. What do you do? What would you do in that situation? Masks are really important. Uh, they're important not just on air travel. They're important in, in any kind of interaction uh, around the public. And you know, we've heard and talked to all the, all the doctors in the medical community that indicates if we were more compliant with masks, we wouldn't be dealing with the issue that we are uh, with the virus. So on Delta, we are enforcing masks. Uh, you cannot board an airplane on Delta unless you have a mask on. And if uh, you get on the plane and you decide that you're not going to wear the mask, we, we ask you kindly to put it back on, but if you insist upon not wearing the mask, we're going to uh, insist on you not traveling on Delta in the future. Hey, Ed, uh, it's, it's Joe Curtin. I'm just wondering about what air travel actually looks like if, if this is uh, beginning to, to look like something that's not gone in, in a year or 18 months. A lot of carriers were building out and retrofitting those pods, for lack of a better term, in, in business class that seem ideal. Uh, for, for a COVID environment, they're separated, you've got walls, you're, you're kind of sequestered. Will that continue? And maybe all planes should have lower capacity because of those pods and you just charge more. Is it, is it possible that the model changes? Because you're not going to make money if only one out of four seats in, in, the, uh, in the normal seats are, are taken anyway. Why not charge more and put people in those pods? Is that going to happen? Uh, I don't think so, Joe. The, the pods are, are are not for health reasons, as you as you can appreciate. They're there for business travel, for international travel. We are continuing, obviously, uh, to anticipate uh, international travel to return, probably on a smaller scale than domestic. But for the aircraft that we're flying today, we've capped our load factors at 60%. So people do have space on board flights on Delta. And we've all seen uh, pictures of, of certain uh, flights with crowded uh, uh, individuals on and some concerns around that. None of those are Delta flights. We've we've made a commitment to our people as well as our customers. We will not board a flight with more than 60 percent. Every middle seat is blocked uh, through September 30th, and we will continue post-September 30th to do the same thing. So every flight that you're on Delta, you will have the seat next to you available. And uh, that space is, is meaningful for customers. And what we're hearing from customers, Joe, is that while you know, I'm not. I'm not in a position to say that uh, everyone should get out and start traveling again by air. For those that need and want to travel, it's actually the best time to travel. Our customer survey scores are up markedly. They're up almost 20 points over where they were at this point because all the planes are clean. They're electrostatic fogged. Every single flight before it t- takes off with uh, uh, surfaces wiped down. The HEPA air filtration systems we have are the cleanest air uh, anywhere you can find. It's cleaner than the air you and I are breathing uh, as we speak here. Uh, we've got uh, space on board, and our people are doing a really good job of managing safety protocols and providing some distance. How so, much should- uh, this is a crisis we will get through. Yeah. And, but, uh, you know, I don't think we need to make large-scale modifications to the, pri- yeah. to the physical configuration to get there. How much do prices need to go up, though, to make it just so you can stay in business with, with planes that are 60%? Full. And, and, you know, I, I would think it's inelastic. People need to fly. So I, I've mentioned many times that I, I think a California flight across the country is about the same as it was in the 80s or 70s almost. The, the, the fares really haven't gone up don't, that much. Don't you think they need to go up 20, 30, 40 percent in general? 
Well, it's, you know, again, as you're trying to bring demand back and confidence back, I'm not sure raising prices 20 to 30 percent is going to help. I, so I think it's going to be a combination of continuing to build consumer confidence, having a competitive fare out there. But by the time we get over the next 12 to 24 months, I think you're going to be back. We're going to be back in a sustainable position. May not be at the same levels in terms of scale, but I think we will have a business model that makes sense, uh, you know, given how we're managing this. Hey, Ed, you had indicated before that you hoped the worst was behind uh, Delta at this point. And, and I'm wondering if you think the worst is behind the industry as a whole or if you think there could still be bankruptcies to come. Um, also, could there be some benefit to allowing airlines to file for bankruptcy in that you can get rid of debts and emerge more streamlined? Uh, the airlines have certainly done it before and have emerged stronger on the other side. Well, there certainly will be uh, a difficult path here this next 12 months, and that's why you see a Delta as well as all the carriers out raising uh, cash and capital to get through the difficult winter. I, I don't know uh, the state of the other airlines. Uh, Delta will not be in that condition. We've got, as, as I think Phil mentioned earlier, 19 months of cash, assuming no improvement from today's level and no more cash raised at Delta. So I'm not concerned on the Delta uh, side of that. But the longer this thing takes, I think there's going to be some challenges. You know, the other thing I want to raise about the, the debt levels, which is interesting at Delta, we've raised $14 billion since the start of the year, but our net debt level has actually only gone up $3.5 because most of that cash is still on our balance sheet. We haven't spent it yet. So, the, you know, the size of the debt raise sounds significant, but we're still holding that cash, and we're, we're going to hopefully be able to deploy it to start to pay down that debt next year as, as things start to improve. Ed, one last question, and then we'll wrap things up. Any chance of another stimulus uh, or a specific targeted uh, bailout, if you will, uh, in Washington, or do you think that that ship has sailed and you're not going to see another round? Uh, I'd be hard to prognosticate what the appetite in Washington is for another bailout for the airlines. I know there's been discussions of that. Uh, the, the first plan, the CARES Act, was was really well received. It gave us six months to hold our staff in place. And you heard me say earlier, you know, because of that stimulus, we may be in a position at Delta not to have to furlough anyone, which would be wonderful if we can get through that. Uh, so it's worked. Uh, I don't know what the appetite for another round would be. Ed Bastian, CEO of Delta Airlines, joining us first on CNBC. Ed, thank you. I know we'll be checking in and watching that daily cash burn as well as the liquidity levels, not only in the third quarter, but for the rest of this year. Andrew, guys, I'll send it back to you. Thanks, Phil. Thank you, Phil. Uh, and thank you, Ed. And we wish, uh, we wish uh, Delta and all the airlines and everybody out there lots and lots of luck. Next on Squawk Pod, is the happiest place on Earth the safest place in the Sunshine State? Especially compared to the rest of Florida and, uh, you know, what I saw outside, uh, Disney World felt sort of like a hospital. The New York Times reporter who took the trip and returned to tell us all about it. We'll be right back. When it comes to family vacations, there are a million different trips you can take. You can get your own... trip to Texas. Or if you prefer a vacation from your family, you can always get your own leave the kids with grandma Yay! trip to Texas. So go to traveltexas.com slash get your own for the only trip to Texas that matters. Yours. Travel is great, but planning for travel can be time consuming and difficult. That's where one travel comes in with one travel. You'll find everything you need to book the perfect trip. 
flights, hotels, cars, transportation. It's all right there with one travel you can book online via app or even pick up the phone and talk to a travel advisor ready to help you make your selections. Visit onetravel.com slash music or call 855-437-2154. Plan it, book it, live it. One Travel. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Welcome back to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin along with Joe Kernan and Melissa Lee, who's hanging out all day with us again. Becky's off today. Meantime, Epcot and Hollywood Studios, they're set to reopen at Disney World in Florida tomorrow. This after the Magic and Animal Kingdoms opened last weekend. But here's the contrast, folks. Hong Kong Disneyland is now going to be reclosing because of coronavirus fears. Joining us right now to talk about how Disney tries to navigate its way through all this uncertainty is Brooks Barnes, media and entertainment reporter for The New York Times, who was at Disney World over the weekend. Our own Julia Borston is with us as well. Brooks, you were on the ground. You saw it live. Um, Would you feel comfortable uh, sending your family? I would. I wouldn't have said that before I went. It was a little nerve wracking uh, driving up to the gate, but uh, especially compared to the rest of Florida and, uh, you know, what I saw outside, uh, Disney World felt sort of like a hospital. The, the, the safety protocols, uh, at least on opening day, uh, were rigidly enforced. Who knows how long, you know, as it goes on, they'll have to keep that up. I, I read the story. Uh, families seem to be having a good time in terms of the quote unquote experience, if you will. Worth it? You know, it, <laughs> I have a hard time understanding why you would go anywhere right now. <laughs> I'm much happier in my little hovel here. Um, but I try not to, to try not to judge uh, the people who felt uh, the need to, to go and those hardcore Disney fans. You know, it, it can be like a religion to them. Um, I saw multiple multiple people crying when they came in. There were entire families and mini ears, Mickey Mouse ears. And for them, you know, as I as I listened to them, they said that, you know, I heard people saying this is this was courage for them to go on. It was some 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 sort of hope um, that the any type of fun uh, they would take and that Disney was really the only uh, for them. Uh, Disney was the difference that they trusted. Talking about trust, Julia, uh, let's talk a little bit about the role that the Disney brand and and from a management perspective, uh, the two Bobs, Bob Iger uh, and, and, and Bob Jopak, are facing in terms of trust, in part because on one side, we now have, you know, Hong Kong Disneyland closing down. Now, that's because the government's telling them to do so. But the cases there are a lot lower. Right. And meantime, you have cases at the highest level they've ever been in Florida. And some people looking at that going, is that responsible So how are they thinking about that inside of Disney right now? Well, look, I think it's worth noting also that here in California, where I live, and the cases are surging again, the state is not allowing Disneyland and Anaheim to open up. So I think what we're really seeing, Andrew, is sort of case-by-case basis, the parks really reflecting what's going on in that local government. Um, And Florida is a very different situation than California right now. And in terms of the management, I think the fact that Bob Chapek 
was in charge of the parks for so many years. That was his domain. That was his expertise. I think that gives him an advantage in knowing the people and knowing how to make these decisions and in really knowing how the parks operate on the ground. Um, so that that is working to his his benefit right now. But Bob Iger is certainly still involved, especially on the creative decisions, trying to decide what films should be going on Disney Plus, which ones they're going to hold for theaters and, uh, and and trying to navigate those new waters as well. Right. No, the reason I the reason, though, I ask about the responsibility, because it it's a trust issue. And I think Brooks might have even written it in, in his piece that people who go to Disney say if if Disney is doing it, therefore, it has to be safe. Right. That Disney is the gold standard, if you will. Forget about the government uh, role in all this. So to have two places closed where 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 the uh, where the spread is lower ostensibly than in Florida, what does it say about the long-term trust? And what are the risks? And maybe I'd ask it to Brooks and, and, and both of you. Uh, what are the risks for Disney if somebody can try to tie an outbreak back to one of these locations? And, and maybe tying the outbreak is very hard. And maybe that's part of the part of the gamble here. It's a, a breathtaking risk that they're taking here uh, with the Disney brand. And really, you know, if, if something goes wrong, that's a that's a job ending uh, decision, depending on how wrong it could go. And the the Disney brand here is taking a hit. Uh, if you look on social media, uh, people, you know, disbelief and and sort of horror is, are from a lot of people judging from afar are, is pouring on out. And Disney's not used to that, um, certainly not in a sustained way. Um, and so it's difficult, uh, to, to Julie's other point about different uh, parks being open. Disney has a hard message right now. They've got Hong Kong closed. They've got California closed. Mulan uh, isn't in theaters like it was supposed to. Their their corporate offices are still closed, yet it's safe to go to Disney World. That's a hard message for them. One of the analysts said that the risk to Disney is so great if there is an outbreak tied to them that their most important priority right now is opening very, very slowly to ensure that they could really control the situation, keep the capacity numbers very low to make sure that that doesn't happen. Right. And then real quick, Julia, just in terms of production, because I think we had some news earlier uh, that the Disney Plus service is going to have a new Star Wars uh, feature coming up, uh, I believe, in early 2021. How are, how is Disney approaching production relative to all the other Hollywood studios? Are they more aggressive? Are they less aggressive? Well, I think actually Netflix has been the most aggressive, and there's been a, a lot uh, written um, about how Netflix is really ramping up production internationally. Um, they have a number of productions underway right now. So I would say Netflix has been the leader in that. They've been in production on many things for months now. But Disney, of course, with some of these um, high-tech uh, productions, a lot of them can be done not on a physical location, which can limit the number of people who have to be together. And I believe that will right. likely be the case when they're, they're doing Star Wars. It was certainly the case of Mandalorian. Okay. Uh, Julia, uh, Brooks Barnes, both of you on the West Coast, thank you for waking up early for us. Appreciate it very, very much. That's the podcast for today. Thank you for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Thanks to Melissa Lee for sitting in today. You can tune in any day on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern. To get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears, subscribe to Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts, and tweet us at Squawk CNBC to show us how you're listening these days. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. Sorkin, see you tomorrow from your undisclosed location. Uh, we're going to do it again. Let's do it again.
When you visit a state as big and diverse as Texas, there are a million different trips you can take. Let's say you've got an appetite for whitewater kayaking. You can get your own. So this is why they call it Devil's River. Trip to Texas. Or maybe you have an actual appetite. I'll take a pound of brisket, six ribs, uh, three links of sausage, and a, a piece of pecan pie. Trip to Texas. Go to TravelTexas.com slash get your own for the only trip to Texas that matters. Yours.